Welcome to this week's edition of Good Books Radio. Audiobooks.com is the chief underwriter for Good Books Radio, which is produced by UTRGV Media Services for Rio Grande Valley Public Radio. And now, here's your host, Dr. W.F. Strong. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Good Books Radio. I'm your guest host today, Dr. W.F. Strong, sitting in for Dr. John Cook, who is on vacation in Cuernavaca, Mexico, having a great time, I'm sure. But since he asked me to sit in, I got to choose my own book. So I chose this book called Hunting Charles Manson by Lise Wheel. Now, Lise Wheel, you will know the name because she was a legal analyst on Fox News for 15 years, legal analyst and commentary, and she was often sparring with Bill O'Reilly. You will remember her for that. But she's written this wonderful book in a new series that she calls The Hunting Series, and it is a splendid investigation of this um, psychopathic, strangely celebrity who has dominated the crime news in one way or another, it seems, for the past 40, 50 years. So she's on the phone. Let's talk to her now. Charles uh, died about the time you were in the middle of this, right? Well, not really the middle. Um, I was the the core. The all the texts had been written about this mm-hmm. book. I mean, I actually researched and worked on this book for about two years, mm-hmm. two plus years. Mm-hmm. So Manson had the good grace to die <laughs> after the book was all written. <laughs> and I say good grace. I mean, you know, I wouldn't normally mm-hmm. talk about the dead like this. But, you know, I don't really feel so much of a compunction to be not kind to Charles Manson. I don't think um, you need to. This, no, I don't need to be. So when I say good grace to die, it's like, you know, he didn't do anything good for anybody while he was alive. So um, but, so I have, a, I have a chapter in here that talks about, it's, it's, cha- it's titled, you know, I'm dying, right? Because mm-hmm. he was always running to the hospital with one thing or the other. So I was running to the printer with one thing or the other <laughs> when he was on this last chapter because I had to change the chapter um, from, you know, dying to dead. And then also what was happening with his estate because mm-hmm. wouldn't you know it, when he died, there were all these things that are actually still ongoing about his estate. But before his estate, his body, who would have rights to yeah, his body, who would be able to bury his body, right. And so right to the very end of the publishing <laughs> of it, I was right there, and the publisher was a little bit, oh, don't pitch bad. Mm-hmm. Not really. They were, they were very kind. I have a wonderful publisher. But really, we were we were tweaking that last chapter. You know, my my fingers were going. You know, going to get that little ink on them. <laughs> um, you know, tweaking that because I wanted to get the legalities right. You know, right. me being the legal analyst, sure, absolutely right as to who would get the rights to the body. And it, it, it the judge gave it to uh, Jason Freeman. Uh, Mason's grandfather, or grandson, excuse mm-hmm. me, who, by the way, I got, exclu- you know, pretty much exclusive material from, uh, talked with him along the way. Now, you'll see if you look him up, he's given tons of interviews post-Manson's uh, uh, death. Right. He's kind of became a, a media phenomenon post-Manson's mm-hmm. death. He kind of get money, frankly, because Manson's worth more dead than alive. Oh, yes. But I got to him, I got to the grandson um, way before Manson died, and before, frankly, I think the grandson knew that, you know, he was going to make some money off of this. 
so got some kind of interesting takes on him. Well, it's um, interesting how the Manson. it's interesting how this um, insane man, this uh, yeah. uh, truly yeah. insane criminal, uh, yeah. you know, has such uh, staying power uh, after yeah. he's gone, even to where his grandson's yeah. made a star. That's phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I chose Manson as a topic, because when I was talking with the publisher and coming up with this idea of a series, because hunting mm-hmm. is a series, mm-hmm. and Charles Manson is the first topic in the series, I and we decided on Manson as our first topic, mm-hmm. because in part because of that cultural staying power. Mm-hmm. And let me just give you an example. When I told my son, who was 23 at the time, now 25, I was focusing on Manson. He said, now this is a 23-year-old talking, oh, mom, are you sure that's safe? <laughs> now, a 23-year-old, right? Okay, mm. so clearly, you know, not alive when in 1969, the summer of 1969, when Manson did all these terrible things. But he knew enough to know that Manson was scary and horrible and awful. First of all, what a sweet thing. I mean, my son is so sweet and such a good human being. <laughs> concerned about I, I your safety, so, of course. Yeah, mm. concerned about my safety and how wonderful, what a sweet young man he is. But more than that, the transcendence of a cultural phenomenon that's so relevant mm-hmm. with, with millennials told me, oh my gosh, I have picked the right topic because of that staying power. And when I got really into the topic, I realized even more when, for example, just months ago, this Keith Rainier, ugh, ugh, and this horrible um, cult that has been revealed, Keith Rainier, oh, yes, yes. you know, this, mm-hmm. and yeah, right, you know, and and, and the Smallville actress, what's her name, um, Allison Mack, is also going to be uh, tried for the sex cult and this horrible thing that they've been doing, branding young women, all yeah. of this stuff. You realize again, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, the Manson playbook is alive and well. And well. Alive and well. Well, see, that's and one that of the things I. To me, you gotta, you gotta write about history lest it repeat itself. That's one of the things that stood out for me in your early chapters is uh, I didn't realize he was cultivating, pardon the pun, the cult. Uh, yes. So early. I didn't realize he was collecting, you know, young women yeah. from around, um, you know, California and building them into a cult and early on started restricting their access to relatives and um, yeah. sequestering them, in a sense, on this ranch. But I want to ask you about that ranch. How did he have permission to be on that ranch? Huh. Well, he, the owner of, of Spawn Ranch, referring to uh, mm-hmm. Spawn Ranch there in the outskirts of the L.A. area. In fact, I went there, which I'll tell you more about mm-hmm. in a minute. Um, uh, was owned by uh, a guy who had horses on the ranch, and he made his money um, by sort of renting out the horses to tourists who would come through and want rides. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, stuff like that. And so Manson and the girls, you know, the family, would take care of the livestock. They would muck out the stalls. They'd take care of the livestock. They'd make sure everything was clean and all that stuff. And so the owner of the ranch, for a while, 
um, is uh, you know, elder gentleman sort of liked having these young, pretty girls around. Uh. Liked having right, exactly. Liked Manson um, and uh, cleaning, providing all these young women to clean out the stalls, to make everything nice, keep the ranch going, um, that sort of thing. And there were some implications that Squeaky from one of uh, one of the girls there might have been doing more than cleaning up the stall homes for this <laughs> rancher. Sure. Right, exactly, exactly. There were those implications. So um, so for a while, it was that kind of hippie, love, mm. everything. Kind Remember, of a commune. The 60s, commune, everything's groovy. Let's smoke a little, you know, weed and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And there was, then, then there was more drugs and just, just, it was a lot more than just marijuana or LSD. There's a lot of other stuff going on. But for a while, it was from the outside looking in, oh, this is just a groovy peace love. What could possibly go wrong with that? Until it turned much darker. And, you know, the whole helter-skelter phenomenon came about in Manson's mind, that he was going to create, you know, a race war and that the only, um, you know, person that could save L.A. and beyond was Manson and his family, and mm. it turned dark. Um, but from from the beginning, there was this peace, love, everything's great. We're going to clean up the stalls, and you know, yeah. for for rich people that wanted to ride these horses. Well, do you think that's where he first realized uh, the power that was right under the surface for him to grab if he wanted to? I think yeah, yeah. He studied uh, sort of cultism and all of that. Not, not cultism, but he studied leaders like that in prison mm-hmm. and plus he was a uh, he played the, the guitar he sang he was you know a decent but uh, magician not magician well, yeah. magician Freudian uh, slip for me yeah right uh, musician I should say <laughs> right um, both, uh, you know he, exactly he was strum the guitar he sang you know some said well you know if the Beach Boys had just given him a contract and and he'd and he'd made it as a as a guitarist and all that a singer none of this would happen. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think he would have, you know, done horrible things no matter what. But that's what he was trying to get. He was trying to move to LA, make it in the in the music industry. Mind you, he was on parole for other felonies. Mm-hmm. He was in the prison system for a long time, way before he started gathering up these girls. If he had if the parole officers had done their job, maybe a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if and if and if, you know. Well, it certainly fits the the profile of of a, of a cult in the sense that you get yes. you you get isolation, you get a charismatic leader, you get people that are down and out themselves and need someone to look to for leadership and and uh, validation. And so he worked all those well, psychologies simultaneously. Yes, yes. Let me let me tell let me, let me tell you. Um, so in October of 2016. I went to the last parole hearing that Tex Watson has had. Uh-huh. Tex Watson, as you probably know, yes. is the man that actually, yeah, actually wielded the knife and, and did the physical murders. I mean, mm-hmm. Manson put everything in place. Tex Watson carried out the wishes and had the girls with him in those nights and, you know, actually stabbed Sharon Tate and the others. I was the only press person that was allowed there. I was the only press person that got access uh-huh. to that hearing. Uh, sat as close to Tex Watson as, you know, three feet away. Oh, there was no, nobody in between us. <laughs> yeah, I was there. Took pictures of him, took pictures of the victims who were, the victims' families who were there, sat with them, Deborah Tate and the others. Um, 
it was really that, and I'd already started working, you know, on writing and and the book, and that, but that was really it. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. I've got to write this book. Um, but sitting there and listening to him, and when it came to the parole officer saying, you know, what made a God-fearing young man like you move from Texas, you know, you go into church every Sunday and, you know, raised by good parents, move from Texas and, and commit, move to California and commit the worst crimes the state has ever seen. And he looked, and he looked at the parole officer, and this was just uh, mind-boggling. I fell off my seat. Was He just said, you know, Charlie gave us love. And oh, acceptance. no. <laughs> yeah, and why couldn't oh, he be a good guy, a good uh. Christian boy, you know? And I just, this, and this man now is 70 years old, uh. and he's still saying this stuff, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Uh. My gosh. Incredible. So it's exactly what you were just saying, you know, that that Charles Manson, for all of his craziness, he knew that. He tapped into that. He saw that mm. in others. Like he could give them this love and acceptance that somehow they didn't feel in the outside world, and they would do anything for him. They saw him as, as Jesus Christ. They saw him as the guru. They saw him as God. Well, they they say he looked a bit like Jesus, right? In the early days. In the early days, mm-hmm. yeah. And if you look at the cover of Hunting Charles Manson, mm-hmm. the book, on um, the photo that the art department picked. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that he's looking up, I'm, I'm staring at it right now, mm-hmm. um, speaking with you, the way that he's looking up is sort of a Jesus Christ sort of yes. photo-ish look. Yeah, I thought it's, that it's when I saw eerie. it. I got, I, got, I got to turn it over. It's like staring. I'm, okay, I'm turning it over. Oops, there's a picture of me on the other side. Oops. <laughs> okay, I'm walking away. <laughs> it's a little scary. <laughs> Well, the uh, the the murder I didn't know about uh, was the Gary Hinman murder. I didn't, you know, know right. that there was a kind of dress rehearsal in a sense uh, for the yeah. Sharon Tate thing. That was really particularly frightening to me because this was a. I mean, the other is certainly frightening, but this one rather bizarre because he he was yeah. a guy that Manson knew came into an inheritance, and he said, "Well, I should have some of that. I should have some yeah. of that money." Yeah, yeah. Gary Hinman was just a, a local guy. Um, came into an inheritance of about $20,000, Manson thought. Uh-huh. Now, in reality, there was no money there at the house when the, when they went. And uh-huh. actually, Manson chopped off one of his ears, and still, Gary Hinman said, I don't have it here. Take my cars. Mm-hmm. Here's a title to my old beat-up cars. And and Manson said, well, you're taking, you're taking this fancy trip. You know, and Hinman said, well, I, I'm not, you know, my parents are paying for this. I don't have any money. Uh-huh. Um, and they tortured him for several days, and, and they finally died. Now, one of the one of the sweetest things, or the sweetest things, is, is kind of weird to say in Manson, mm-hmm. but that's come out of my writing this book is meeting Kay Martley, mm-hmm. the cousin of Gary Hinman. Mm-hmm. Kay and I have become actually friends um, through, you know, Kay and, and and many of these victims' families have traveled from one parole hearing to another, and I, I Kay lives, you know. Uh, Kay lives in the on the west and on the west in the west, and um, she's just a lovely woman. And I I spoke with her so often about Gary, and she said, "Please write about Gary, and 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 please write about you. Know, please write honestly about Gary, and and you know he hasn't been written about because mm-hmm. um, he's not famous like Sharon Tate, but." you know, write about him and write honestly about him. And so I wrote a chapter that was, I think, respectful of the Gary Hinman. Because people have, you know, what has been written about him has been 
I think like he was a drug guy, and he wasn't. He really wasn't, from my research. And uh, I talked a long time with Gary. Gary's mother's heart broke really over his oh, death. He died that. shortly after. My heart broke yeah, just it reading really it. Sad. You know, I, 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 I mean, really. Sad. You certainly did yeah. your job. Thank you. Yeah, and and well, thank you. And and Kay was Kay saw the book and saw the chapter and was happy, and mm-hmm. that made me happy. <laughs> But it also, at the same time, showed uh, the kind of incredible early depravity that Manson w- was slipping into. If you call it slipping, he may, yeah. already, he may have already been there. But, I mean, to take a guy that you knew and say, well, you won't share your money, so I'll kill you. I mean, just. Yeah, and and, and in a horrible, long, I mean, it took days. Yes, to yes, die. a torture, but just. just right, really... in his own home. Yeah, it was just horrible. They didn't need to. He'd given them everything. Yeah. And they were his friends, you know. He, they were he were they were friends. Supposedly. Now, what you, now, put on your you know your lawyer hat, and mm-hmm. a lot of people say, well, Charles Manson didn't do these murders himself, so he got uh, unfair punishment. What what do you say? Oh well, that's ridiculous because of of the uh, laws of conspiracy. Now, mm-hmm. um, back in the day. In, in 1969, uh, Vincent Bugliosi, who was a prosecutor, did have, it wasn't the easiest of cases because of what you just said, that mm-hmm. that Manson wasn't, not only did he not, you know, wield the knife, as Tex Watson did that, but he wasn't even there at the crime scenes. Right. So now we have RICO, we have all these different laws to for conspiracy, we go. Oh, just yeah, just get my RICO statue. You know, criminal conspiracy. You know, uh, and a criminal enterprise that he was running out there in that cult. But now, but RICO didn't exist. Um, so all of these things didn't exist. So Manson had uh, Bugliosi had to prove that because Manson set things in motion with you know do something witchy, which in the magic words that he used, and 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 you know showing Man- Tex Watson how to use the knife and doing all of this and driving him to the places and all of this stuff and telling them what to do, setting them into motion that he was as criminally liable as if he'd been there, mm. and that was an uphill battle in in the sense that they hadn't been, it was pre Manson hadn't been used like that. Now it's not a big deal to use it, but. But you have to understand, conspiracy law is such that if you do set things in motion and you you are the one that puts it together and you set it all in motion, and it does happen that way, that people go and act on what you have set in motion, you're as criminally liable as if you've done it yourself. You take those substantial steps to do it. And in, in, in the second mur- murder, after the, lo- after the um, Tate murders, the LaBianca murders the next day, Manson drove around with them and found the spot and said, yeah, do it there. That's where you should go. That's the next place to go. And was it the Manson trial that made the, that put those laws into effect, so to speak? The no, them? conspiracy law, no, no. It, conspiracy law had been in effect. Well, let me go to yeah. your son's uh, warning, so to speak, or worry. <laughs> yeah. uh, since you've uh, published the book, it hasn't been out too long, but uh, is there any truth to it? Is there any, um, you know, Manson cabal out there in social media that uh, that uh, has written to you or taken you to task in any way? Uh, there's some people out there that, you know, not really taken to task, but there's some people out there that don't believe that Manson um, is guilty that don't believe that he sh- should have been um, 
in prison, certainly for as long as he was, certainly that he was guilty for, you know, anything really. I mean, there's, there's some people that don't believe he should have been in prison at all, um, that certainly are true believers of Manson, or some people that believe if he'd been should have been in prison, but certainly not for as long as he was. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some, you know, absolute followers of Manson that were, when he was in prison, they were followers of Manson. Absolutely. And there are alternative theories. I have a whole chapter, actually, in the book about alternative theories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to be very fair. I mean, I think I was very fair. But, uh, no, not really dangerous like my son was worried about. I think more that he just hears Manson and it's a very frightening thing. Um, because of what Manson and the family did. But sure, even even now, there are so many believers of Manson. I mean, I start the book with, a, you know, Manson had somebody that, you know, wanted to marry him. And I know. I, woman I, was, tell me yeah. about that. How does that happen? I mean, Unbelievable. Uh, well, you know, a, a woman named Star, who yes, was, you know, I read, I, her very, very young. <laughs> Um, yeah, who wanted to name Star Manson and went ahead and got a marriage license. Now, and she you know, got the she got the, the tattoo on the forehead. Got the tattoo on the forehead. Uh, did the whole shlemier. And her right. father was Visited so proud. <laughs> I'm sure her father was proud on Father's Day. I mean, I don't understand the mentality, and, and, and that's where I sort of that's where I kind of take a step back and say. Look, I'm not a psychologist. I don't understand these things. I don't write from a psychologist's point of view because I'm a legal analyst. I don't. I I don't understand that. I can. I can't. I can't opine on that. I just write it. You know. I don't yeah. know it. <laughs> yes. But it's there, and somehow he taps into that. I don't get it. So I can't tell you why, but it's there, and it's still there. And look, look again, Keith Rainier. It's still there, and. And my point, my point on that is that, unless again, unless you think it's just like topless dancers or prostitutes or something like that, it's not just runaway kids from bad families, whatever you define that to be. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know fancy kids from fancy families too. It's mm-hmm. every it's everybody's susceptible, or a lot of kids are susceptible. Right. So you know it's um. Or is it just fun to? I don't know. Love your them. kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the, well, Star, she moved to be close to the prison to be close to him, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, yes, that's. Yeah. But this is not uncommon for serial killer types. They often get groupies. Oh, they get groupies. I mean, you know, I, I when I reported, um, you know, I was at Fox for fifteen years, and when I reported on some of them, you know, I, I was on uh, Scott Peterson for, I followed that case from beginning oh, to yeah. end. And when he, even when he got the death penalty, there were women writing him, wanting to, you know, marry him. He's getting, I was like, well, at least you know where he's going to be. <laughs> 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 you know, you know, you guys not out in the back, you know, that's, I guess that's a, that's a benefit. But I'm like, I don't, again, I, I have to bow out because I'm not a psychologist, yeah. but I, because I just don't get it. It's like, that one's beyond me. <laughs> well, there's something I, I never have been able to figure out is the kind of uh, rather universal, it seems, uh, curiosity about uh, the most uh, insane and violent and, shall we say, successful 
of uh, these sorts of killers. Uh, there was a guy who came to campus who was specialized in serial killers, and uh, he was going to give a lecture, you know, about serial killers. And uh, there were, th- he did it in an auditorium that had 300 uh, seats. Well, uh, they filled it, and they said, okay, well, there's standing room only, so we'll do another one at 2 o'clock. He ended up doing three lectures that day because there were so many people who wanted to come hear about serial wow. killers. It's just astonishing to me. I mean, of course, I was there too, so you know, I can't, yeah, I can't say there, it's right. these other sicko people. Uh, but it, I just find it fascinating that there's so many people fascinated with this kind of uh, psychological extremity and evil genius, if you call it that. Well, we want to know what make, makes people, you know, tick. I yeah. guess. And how and did they get that way? With Manson, I. Right. With Manson, I was also interested in, in again, why why these people, why these women would follow him and stay. And I wanted to explore it and and write about it and make history um, new because, you know, we have to, again, like, like for the millennials, you know, this is, this is historical. Uh, this is an historical thriller, and I write it as a thriller. Yes. But I want I want kids to you know I want people to read it because you know emphasis on history. Okay, so you read it and go, mm, uh, don't let this happen to your kids and don't mm-hmm. let it happen to you. But write it as again history, so you realize, hey, this happens, and this is this is a thriller, but it happened in real life. So you know this can happen to anybody. Um, you know anybody that's feeling lost or abandoned and can find sort of this, I mean, look, listen, looking at this Tex Watson character, if you passed him on the street, you go, you know, nice looking 70 year old, mm-hmm. takes care of himself, you know, uh, walked and talked just fine mm-hmm. until you realize he's murdered seven, you know, more or more people in cold, cold blood. Absolutely. I was talking to, um, a researcher, well, actually, the guy that came here to lecture, he'd written a book on serial killers, and uh, I was talking to him, and he was talking about how <clears throat> he went to see uh, John Wayne Gacy at the prison, and when he was coming out, he ran into the woman who used to be his neighbor. You know, she lived mm-hmm. next door to him, and she was coming to see him, and he asked her, he said, why, why are you coming to see this man, <laughs> you know, who's, who's uh, one of the greatest killers in history? And she said, well, I didn't know him as that. He was just a really good neighbor, <laughs> you know. So very, oh, wow. very odd the way, uh, you know, people respond. She said, all I knew was the good neighbor. <laughs> so very, very well, strange. Well, I mean, yeah, he could be different characters, I guess. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. Well, many of them were. Many but, of them Man- were. but Manson was kind of, Manson had a horrible childhood, mm-hmm. a mother who was, you know, really not a very good mother at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in prison, you know, really from a very young age. And that's the thing. Again, the, the system let us down because the parole officers were not doing their job. Had they been doing their job and watching him at, and yeah. having him check in, you know, who knows what would have happened. Well, Manson is a great subject for, to launch your series, the hunting series. What other books do you have you. or subjects are in uh, mind? I am already writing the second one, but uh, so I, I have the topic and I'm working hard on it. I'm very, very excited about the second topic. Um, it was like when I when I thought of it, it was like, of course, oh my gosh, why why hasn't oh my gosh, this is like a if Manson is relevant mm-hmm. to today's today's society, my next topic is 
uber relevant. I mean, absolutely relevant, like a hundred million times relevant. But I, I so you're not going to tell you me. Would mean I'd have to. Yeah, I just have to send arsenic to you, and then oh, I would be breaking no. the law, and okay. it would be ugly, and you have to break the law, and yeah. have to go to prison, and it would yeah. be taking time away from my. And writing, I could write your I story if I were still alive. Yeah, exactly. Well, then you'd be, you'd, you wouldn't be allowed to tell it, and then that would be a whole other topic, and then I have to go to Texas and stand trial, and so let's just let's just avoid that. Let's just let me just write it, and then I'll be on your show again. Well, this this book uh, on Manson, this is. Like your sixteenth book, or somewhere like that. Eighteenth, uh, but 18th. you're you're keeping good count. Mm. Yeah, well, that's great. That's a lot of books. You must have a yeah. whole section in Barnes and Noble, just the least wheel section. <laughs> you know, would you just please tell them that? I mean, just tell them that that's what they need to do. I mean, come on, I, just get it done. Okay, I will do it. I will do it. I'm, I'm sure I have just great get pull. That done. <laughs> yeah, well, thank get you so that much done, for coming on today and it. talking about Manson. It's been very illuminating. And uh, and you taught me a lot I didn't know. I mean, I grew up in an age where I was very aware of him, of course, and his Beatles connection. Uh, right. So I, I've been very much aware of him and followed his trials a little bit, you know, his various uh, hearings over the years to see if they're going to let him out. Uh, but, no. but you taught me a great deal that I didn't know, and that's what a good book should do: is to is to give you new information and to explain it in a way that's, uh, like, like you say, a compelling read. It's it's it, it is a good narrative that you have put together and pulls you right along. So thank you for a wonderful book, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you, thank you for a great discussion. I appreciate it, and good luck with your book about Texas. All right, I love thank it. you, thank you. We've been talking to Lise Wheel about her new book. Hunting Charles Manson. I highly recommend it, but I don't recommend that you read it at night. It will sometimes freak you out. For Good Books Radio, I'm Dr. W.F. Strong signing off. Here's hoping that all your books are good reads. <laughs>